0: Welcome to the Brown County Hour.
1: Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown,
2: where the plum
0: purple haze,
1: the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers,
0: inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers.
3: It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and a culture in the heart of Indiana.
0: Sit for a spell and hear the music,
3: the tall tales,
0: true stories,
3: and current goings-on.
0: Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter
4: and swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to Episode 28 of the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrom with guest host Cheeky Rose, and we're pleased to present our new show.
5: It's been a busy month here in our studio. Chuck Wills and Kara Barnard will tell us about the Indiana State Finger Style Guitar Competition coming to Brown County this month, and we'll hear some of the competitors from last year. We'll hear the last installment from Bill Miller's interview, and we have some poetry from Tramp Star, Chris Curtin, and Gunther Flum. SG Strategist gives us a glimpse into local history by reading a segment from the narrative, The Liar's Bench. We also have a story from Keith Bradway, another essay from Dave Seastrom, some land and lore from Bill Land, and our own Rick Fettig adds some of his whimsy to the mix.
4: In our first segment, we'll start with Chuck Wills and Kara Barnard, and we'll listen to Mark Sanga from last year's Fingerstyle competition playing a tune called Bossa. We
1: also have Bill Miller on Ecology, and Tramp Star brings us another poem. This is Jeff Foster with the Brown County Hour. Later this month will be the third annual Indiana State Fingerstyle Guitar Competition. We're lucky enough to have Chuck Wills with us this evening and is going to give us some
6: backstory on that. Chuck, welcome. Thank you, Jeff. When is the date of the competition? Well, it goes over three days. Friday the 25th is our open mic night and tent party. The competition and the evening concert is Saturday the 26th. And then uh, Sunday morning and early afternoon, we're having some guitar workshops. The the actual competition, that starts fairly early. It's pretty much an all-day event, isn't it? Uh, One o'clock is the start time. We start with a uh, youth competition, which is new for this year. Hmm. And then immediately after that, the standard competition starts, concludes at about 4.30 or 5.00 and then we actually announce the winners at the beginning of the evening concert at 7:30. We have three judges that at this point will remain nameless uh, so that everybody can be fair and unbiased. And these are guys that have competed internationally and have a, a reputation not only as being excellent players but as having great ears to be judges in this kind of competition. We have 40 spaces and the first 2 years we've had about 25 competitors. We already have more than 25 signed up this year, so there's a good chance we're going to be getting close to 40.
1: It seems like the picking just gets better every year, right?
6: Yeah, yeah. The The first two years were great. Uh, we are seeing maybe even a little bit of a step up in caliber of the average competitor for this year. They're going to really throw down the gauntlet. Now, you and Kara
1: Barnard, who we featured last month on the Brown County Hour, began this project. How
6: did that idea come to you, and could you give us a little bit about how it formed? Sure. When I moved to the county, I actually started taking guitar lessons from Kara, and uh, we became friends over a, a few years, and she had always had a dream of having a guitar competition in the county to kind of build on the, the heritage of acoustic music. I had some event management experience, and it just seemed like a fun thing to do. We actually took a year to collaborate and put together the first competition. It went well, was well received, and so we decided that, well, we called it an annual competition, we'd better make good on that. So we've continued to try to make it bigger and better every year. The winner actually gets a free pass to go to the international competition in Kansas, which is held a month after ours. So our event is one of eight accredited guitar competitions in the world, uh, accredited by the Walnut Valley Association that runs the international competition. Now, if someone wanted to enter this... As long as we have spaces available... Uh, You can show up the day of with your guitar and your $15 entry fee, and you'll get to play. But most people, I'm
1: guessing, do this uh, through your website.
6: Yeah, yeah. go to the website, indianastringfest.com, and all of the competition information is there and the sign-up forms, everything you need. We try to make this a festival-type weekend, so it's more than just a a competition. On Friday, we have an open mic night, which traditionally has been spread around a few different locations. This year, we have focused on the Pine Room, and we're actually having a tent party outdoors. We are going to have all kinds of entertainment there. The competitors will get to play some of their tunes. Everybody will get 20 minutes or so if they want, and under the tent... Uh, we're going to be featuring Carrie Ray and the Loners, as well as Maxwell Hughes, who is formerly of the Lumineers and is Grammy nominated. So we're very lucky not only to have Maxwell compete, but to, to have him perform for us Friday night at the Pine Room. The Saturday event, along with featuring the winners of the competition, we're going to have Brian Hinkey, who is a harp guitarist, playing, and then also Michael Kelsey is going to uh, finish out the evening for us with uh, probably 45-minute set. Oh, and he's excellent. Yeah, Michael's wonderful. We're lucky to have him. Uh, Sunday, we're having workshops at the Brown County Inn. We're having some beginner-level classes as well as some advanced classes, things like intro to thumb-style guitar playing, Uh, alternate tunings, and Maxwell Hughes is actually going to teach a class on two-handed tapping. Any guitar players out there that want to come learn some new techniques, you need to come to Brown County End Sunday morning.
1: Now, the competition is sponsored by some people, right?
6: Yeah, this couldn't happen without uh, some key people in the community. Pine Room Tavern has been a key sponsor since this started. The event may not have happened without them, so we're very grateful for their support. OC Bear Guitars builds the grand prize guitar for us every year and so it's going to be a $5,500 guitar that's given away to the winner this year. Bill Wills Photography and Walnut Valley Festival have been great supporters and sponsors and last but not least the Brown County CVB has uh, sponsored us this year as well.
1: Chuck Wills, thank you so much for joining us and I know I'll be there to hear all the great music going on. Great, thank you Jeff. Cara Barnard. So, let's talk about the Indiana
4: State Fingerstyle Guitar Contest, which I believe you are the founding person.
0: Right. I've had this idea for a long time. I started competing in the International Fingerstyle Competition in the early early 90s. That's held out in Winfield, Kansas every September. Guitar players from all over the world come in to this little place in Kansas and compete to be the international champion. My thought back then in the early 90s was uh, there's there's no reason why Brown County can't do something like this. So we finally got it kicked off. This will be our third year.
4: So are you hooked in with the people in Kansas? Or? Yes, okay. very
0: much so. They're behind us. We're, we're accredited through them. Okay. Uh, the winner of our competition gets a free ride to the international competition. Oh. Yeah. So And that's, that's a huge deal to get get them behind us but you know i did all my homework and talked to them and uh, normally they let a contest run for a few years before they'll get behind them and they jumped right on board with us
4: nice yeah Well, how many other contests like that are there around America?
0: There's one down in Kentucky that's pretty well known. It's the Thumb Pinky Competition down in Muhlenberg, Kentucky, uh, which is the home of the Everly Brothers' uh, dad. Uh, He's the one that got it all started, and Merle Travis. But there's not very many statewide, not very many at all. I think there's probably around eight. on the the entire planet.
4: This is a pretty select select group.
0: We've got guys coming in from all over the country to compete here this July. We've had every year we've done it so far. And I'm not going to mention a name because I'll get in trouble because we're not supposed to tell who's competing. But there was one guy that signed up a couple weeks ago that my jaw just hit the floor. He was uh, and has been one of my favorite guitar players since the late 80s. Hmm. And he's coming out to compete You know,
4: a a mystery guest that gives us something to look forward to. We'll say it's a mystery
0: guest for now. Yeah, this year we're also going to do a youth competition. I don't have a whole lot of kids signed up for it yet, Uh, so the competition will be tough. But I just hope we get a you know at least a handful of them to to compete. Then we'll have a lot of workshops and jam sessions at the Brown County Inn through the weekend as well.
4: It sounds like a great time.
7: forever on the beach together. Do you remember? Voce se lembra? Places we would swim, the love that we were in, remember? You said that everything was better ever since we were together. When I look back on those times so tender, I will remember, você se lembra I'll be talking to the night Until the moment was just right Remember, você se lembra I carried you inside And looked into your eyes I remember You said that everything was better Since we were together When I look back on those times So tender It's all the love Say, remember Você se lembra Holding you all night Till the early morning light I remember You said that everything was better Ever since we were together When I look back on those times so tender It's all the love Since we were together When i look back on those times so tender I Saw the love
4: and here's Bill Miller. What I love is you saw all these great places. You traveled the world, but your choice was still to come back to Brown County.
8: That's right. That's right. It was easy choice because Brown County, the people in Brown County and the environment in Brown County are unique. Those two things, I think, are still qualities that Brown County have, but they were always something that was like a magnet to draw me back to Brown County. And I enjoyed growing up here with artists and farmers and every kind of craftsman and worker. I wanted my kids to grow up here with the kind of people that are attracted to Brown County, which are with individualism and are strong people. And people like Hank Swain, who I understand just passed... That's the kind of people that Brown County has always attracted and I think it's still the kind of people that come here and actually stay. So that's why I came back was to raise my family here, be a part of the community. This is a
4: little far afield for what we've been talking about. Are you up to speed on the DNR's current forest plan?
8: I am to a certain degree, my opinion of DNR's forest plan is not positive. It's been cut trees, cut, cut, cut. What we really need is for the Fort Indiana DNR to stop their cutting and to do things to make state forests more accessible to people because it is not serving any purpose except for the cheap logging to the loggers. So much of taking out the trees that are 70, 80, 100 years old Is damaging to the forest and they won't be back in anybody's lifetime for the most part DNR has not done a good job of taking care of the forest in my opinion and their scheduled cut is way too much so hopefully they'll cut it back really the state forest belongs to all the citizens it doesn't belong to the logging community and it doesn't belong to DNR it belongs to all of us so all of us have to get involved and let them know and our state representatives know that we don't want more logging we want more trails and we want more taking care of the forest we're working on it yeah well i think from everything i hear that's good in the forest uh, alliance and People like Jeff Stant and other people that uh, I've known for a long time, I know are also working.
4: Do you have anything you want to talk about, Bill?
8: How fortunate you know I am uh, to have been able to live here in a better part of my life, and then still have been able to go away uh, for a significant amount of time and uh, see so many other places. But it makes you appreciate when you come back uh, to Brown County what we have here and it's a quality of life i think instead of having sometimes people put emphasis on other things but brown county the the really the most valuable assets we have are the people and our environment here and i know that we talk about tourism but those two things are number one and two uh, to attract people to brown county and of course brown county state park so i think brown county still has so much to offer for people that are looking for the spirit of community, quality of life. Well, Bill, thank you
4: so much for coming in. This has been a great conversation.
8: Well, same here. Thank you very much for inviting me.
9: Thank you for coming, Bill. Thank you, Vera. This has been Vera Grubbs and Dave Seastrom with the Brown County Hour.
8: Hi, I'm Tramp Starr.
10: You don't know about me without You've read the writings of a fellow named Carl Wilson, but that ain't no matter. Carl was a writer, a goat farmer, a boxer, and an all round swell guy. Good friend of mine. Carl used to publish some of my stuff under the title Jokes and Jingles from Curly Shingles by Tramp Star. Curly Shingles was the name he had given his little old cabin. The Shake Shingles had all kind of curled up on him. Tramp Star is, well, that's me. Farm Doors. Most farmers keep their front doors locked. I know, because I've stood and knocked and thought, oh well, nobody's here. Then, just as I would turn to leave, a voice would reach me from the rear. A laugh, or I'd hear footsteps weave a clicking rhythm on the floor. Some noise of some kind that would tell I'd spent my time at the wrong door. Not knowing customs then so well, so I'd go to the back and be among the folks I'd come to see." I don't know why most doors are barred that open on a farm's front yard. It can't be wood. When winters come, a farmer doesn't save on heat. He's just as free with beech and gum as he is with the food they eat. And certainly it isn't fear that makes him lock one room up tight. A man who marks life year on year by quiet day and peaceful night. More likely, the lock serves to bar the door where his pretensions are. Behind most farmers' locked front door are hidden all his useless store. A stand where unread books are laid, brown cattails tied in a bouquet. A china lamp with painted shade, an organ that no one can play. Stiff chairs and doilies spread around, lace curtains starched and hung with care. An album, brass and red plush bound. And nowhere any sun or air. A fearful room where wills are read, And folks must lie when they are dead. Most farmers keep their front doors locked, as I have found when I have knocked. The kitchen door's the place to go to make your friendly little calls. Their kettles sing and wood fires glow. Their taffies made and popcorn balls. A homely place of spicy smell, of easy chairs and drowsy heat a place where human beings dwell, in coatless ease and slippered feet. I think that folks are wise who
4: bar the room where their pretensions are. Now we pause for station identification.
5: Brown County Hour is sponsored by Jerseyana Gallery in Nashville, where it's always a state of art. We showcase Indiana artisans of all ages. Stop by each month to check out featured local artists, poets, authors, and musicians in Nashville's only art salon. For more information, call 812-200-3133 or check out their webpage at allthews.jerseana.org.
4: You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org. Welcome back to episode 28 of the Brown County Hour. So, what do we have in this segment, Cheeky?
5: We begin with Bill Land's story about Lake Monroe. We have a poem from Chris Curtin called Fish, and we bring you another fingerstyle guitar tune from last year titled Wichita Lineman, performed by Pat Kirtley. We also have something special, S.G. Strategus will be performing a passage from the narrative The Liar's Bench, concerning the trial of Alex Mullis.
11: This is Bill Land, the land and lore of Brown County lake monroe in brown county completed in 1965 is the largest lake in the state of indiana ohio river watershed flood control local water supply and recreation five square miles of this beautiful lake is in southwestern brown county surface water adjacent water woodlands management tracks indiana dnr for wildlife habitat feed and fallow plots Plus, eradication of plant invasives. Backwaters of the dam of Salt Creek. Salt actually doesn't even reach the lake. The best and only formal access is Crooked Creek Ramp near Belmont. Water tests in the area show it's remarkably clean. Some concern is for the blue-green algae. Now, that blue-green algae gets a bloom from the nitrogen and other sort of runoff, and it, once it dies, it can create toxins in the lake. And that's a, a little bit of a concern. Well, Lake Monroe in Brown County is often known for the floods. It gets up to 560 feet. That's called high pool. A normal pool is 538 feet. Another fascinating thing are the bald eagles. This year, four to five nesting pairs are in the county. In Brown County this year. Also, there's some river otters spotted in the lake and some osprey as well. Brown County also was concerned about the lake with the lake purchases around 1960, particularly around Elkinsville. Public water lines extended to Brown County from the lake and aided development. We used to use a lot of ponds, over 630 ponds all throughout the county. The most in the state, These ponds are used for water supply along with the cisterns. Sediment mitigation, that is tree cover, lack of hard surface roads, good vegetation cover, marshland projects, they protect the lake's quality. Brown County really helps with that. The only one major development is called the Salt Creek Estates. A couple of dozen quality homes accessed by turning near Belmont Passing the T.C. Steel site and way back in the hills several miles to the lake. Now I lived in Salt Creek, the Salt Creek Estates, for just over a year. Watching bald eagles fly right by the house, six feet away from our 53 windows that looked over the lake. Especially, this is beautiful in the winter time. I really enjoyed swimming across the lake in the afternoon and then one night, about midnight, in the full moon. Swimming across the lake with a flashlight in my hand, life jacket. Man, that was just, that's just good old Brown County. All the way across the lake, over by the Deem Wilderness, soft silty bank. This was a wonderful, wonderful swim all night long. Thank goodness we didn't get hit by some sort of trolling boat or something like that. Now, one night in January, I remember so well. About three o'clock in the morning, my partner Dorothy played a wolf howling tape on high volume from our deck just to see what would happen. To our pleasant surprise, we awakened scores of coyotes. And they began to bark and bark and bark and so much that on our side of the lake, several owls began to hoot and laugh at the whole situation. Now, if you really enjoy this lake, fishing for walleye, crappie, or striped bass, or boating, east of the causeway, In the no-wake zone, close to the beds of American lotus with their incredibly beautiful white blossoms, just give thanks to good old Brown County for helping to make the bright water clear and clean. This has been Bill Land with the land and lore of Brown County. This is Chris Curtin with a poem called Fish. Do fish get thirsty? Do you think they're ever dry and need a drink? Are fish a lot like you and me and take a drink occasionally? Or do they swim all day and night, guzzling every drop in sight?
9: name is S.G. Strategist. I'm going to be reading a piece written by Ron Dye that he adapted freely from the journals of Frank Honenberger and was used in conjunction with the Liar's Bench project. Attorney Bill Jones summation to the jury in the moonshine trial of Alex Mullis. Gentlemen of the jury, ladies and gentlemen of the court, your honor, I'd like to thank you for your patience during this trial and I'd like to compliment you on the orderliness with which you have conducted yourselves. And before I proceed with my summation, I'd like to pay one more compliment, if I might beg the court's indulgence. Virgil, I'd like to compliment you on your haircut. We've all heard the state's prosecuting attorney, Mr. Robinson, admonish the court and make much ado over a 15-minute delay caused by a certain juror's late return from recess. Well... It's clear to me that Virgil must have stopped in at Harry Kelp's barbershop. The results are self-evident. Mr. Robinson, in Indianapolis, you may be able to duck into one of your grooming salons and get a shave and a haircut in no time at all, and get your shoes shined into the bargain. But Harry Kelp's never been to that barber school, and here in Nashville, things are done a little differently. And, ladies and gentlemen, That just might be the crux of the whole biscuit right there. Here in Brown County, things are done differently. Myself, I'm nothing but a country lawyer, but I did grow up believing that Brown County was part of a democratic republic which guarantees a man certain unalienable rights, and that among these rights are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I know Mr. Robinson of the state is not ignorant of these rights, as they are laid out clearly and cleanly in the Constitution of the United States of America, of which, if I'm not mistaken, Brown County is still a part. Let's have a look at that last right I mentioned, the pursuit of happiness. Constitution says no man shall be denied. Now, I don't know how they pursue happiness up there in Indianapolis. Maybe they go a-dancing. Maybe a picture show maybe a ball game now and then. In Brown County, there are different people pursue happiness in different ways. Old man Ains here, he's got a tobacco farm. We all know that ain't an easy life. And Mr. Ains, he works that land hard. He works it hard when the crop come in and it's cut and hung and dried and cured. Well, old Mr. Ains, he brings in that to market and gets the best price he can for it. Most of the crop he does that with As for the rest of the crop, he lays a little aside to do with as he pleases. Maybe he dips snuff. He chews. Maybe smokes a pipeful in his parlor and tells stories to his grandkids. But he does it because he likes to. It makes him happy. And there ain't a person alive on God's green earth gonna tell him he ain't allowed. My friend Dale Bashir, he's an artist, likes to paint pictures. Most of us know him, however, for the apples he grows. Got him the prettiest little orchard up the hill just north of town. We've all eaten Dale's apples, but we ain't eaten all of Dale's apples. Some of those apples he keeps for himself, to do with as he pleases, because it makes him happy. He presses cider. His wife makes a pie for visitors. Shoot, he probably puts a bowlful on the table and paints a picture of them. Why shouldn't he? He grew them. They're his. No one's gonna tell him he can't do with them whatever he wants to do to make him happy. Now, this other man here, the defendant in this trial, Alex Mullis, among other things, he grows corn. Now, if he wants to sell some at market and lay some aside to do with whatever he pleases in pursuit of his happiness, is someone going to tell Alex Mullis can't do that? He ain't allowed? Is Mr. Robinson of the state of Indiana down here to tell Alex Mullis, a good Democrat to the bone, a citizen of this Democratic Republic of these United States, that Alex Mullis cannot, in no simple manner, pursue his happiness? And we all know how happy a little kick a white mule makes you feel. More than a few of you know exactly what I mean. Beside which... The state has not shown one shred of evidence which proves that the moonshine still in question belongs to Alex Mullis, or in fact, that the apparatus is even a moonshine still at all. For all the state has shown, Alex or someone else might have been using that old washtub to wash their dirty overalls. The state has not shown us the evidence. The state has relied on colorful talk. Don't get me wrong, I like colorful talk. I'm accustomed to it. Outside the liar's bench, some of the most colorful talk you'll ever come across is heard right up here inside this courtroom. I tip my hat to Mr. Robinson when he calls Alex Mullis a sly red fox dressed in blue overalls, masquerading in the disguise of a white lily. I wish I could say something that pretty. Red, white, and blue indeed. I tip my hat to Mr. Robinson's poetry. But I throw my hat down at the insinuation that Alex Morris has something to hide. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the pot calling the kettle black. I suggest it is Mr. Robinson and the state of Indiana who are masquerading pretended to prosecute Alex for a crime of owning and operating a moonshine still, when in fact Alex's only crime is owning and operating a farm up on Weed Patch Hill, a farm that the state envisions as part of its new wildlife preserve, a piece of land owned and operated by Alex's family for generations, a piece of land Alex Mullis has raised hounds on and hunted on for his entire life. Good Lord, Alex has already sold the state one parcel of land and now they want to push him off what's left of his family's heritage. The state maintains they'd like to bring some law and order to Weed Patch Hill. So they've hired Oliver Neal as game warden of the New Wildlife Preserve to clean things up as it were. I respect Oliver Neal and his wife Mary, but I do not envy his job. Lord, people, the man is a Republican. Alex Mullis and the other former owners of land and property on Weed Patch Hill are now expected to report to Game Warden Neal and ask his permission to hunt and fish on the land that they and their fathers grew up on. Most of these former landowners, as I'm sure you all know, are Democrats. Now, please forgive the limitations of my impoverished imagination. But I cannot conceive of Alex Mullis or any other good Democrat asking a Republican for permission to do anything, let alone asking permission to run hounds on what used to be his own land. What is the state after in all this? An official representative of the state's Eagles Lodge, headquartered in Indianapolis, has put forth the following campaign slogan, and I quote, as the eagle soars to the highest point to build its nest, why not the eagle's lodge make its home in the loftiest point in Indiana? Richard Lieber, who has already claimed the state's land for seven other state parks throughout Indiana, similarly has said the state should buy this entire county and set it aside for an oasis for future generations to visit and refresh themselves in the beauty of nature. It's clear what the state wants. It's clear what the Eagles Lodge wants. It's clear what Richard Lieber and the state parks want. The question is, what do you, the people of Brown County, want? Has anyone asked? Has anyone asked Jesse Mathis, Selmer Oliver, William Taylor, Jim Straw, Joe Roberts, old Mr. Harrison? The list goes on. Ames, Gentilin, Hobbs, all old Brown County names, all sold their land. Anybody ask what they want? Has anybody asked Alex Mullis what he wants? Alex Mullis tends a farm. He cuts shingles. And more than that, he raises the finest hounds to be found in Brown County. Hell, they're probably the best damn hunting dogs in the whole damn state. I bet those dogs know every fox run or weed patch hill. Every burrow, every turnaround, every scent laid in the wrong and right direction. But I ain't telling you boys and the jury anything. Many of you fellows been up there yourselves. Now, are you going to be the ones to tell Alex Mullis he can't go up there anymore? Maybe that's all Alex Mullis needs in this life to make him happy. To run hounds in the fox chase like he's always done. To nose down a scent way up high on Weed Patch Hill. To hear those hounds baying through the fog. To sip a drink of spring water when the chase runs ragged. To smooth the cockleburrs out of that red fur when the race is done. Maybe that's all Alice wants to make him happy. You think about that. I know you'll do the right thing. This has been SG Strategist reading from Ron's Die piece that was performed in conjunction with Slats Klug's lyre Bench performance many years ago. Thank you.
5: Now we pause for station identification.
9: Brown County Hour is underwritten by Riverlight Yoga, where you will find expert instruction in a completely equipped, newly enlarged studio. We offer a variety of classes with individual instruction, a specialty. Gift certificates in any denomination are available. See riverlightyoga.com for full information.
4: You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org.
5: Welcome back to episode 28 of the Brown County Hour. In our final segment, we begin with Rick Fettig, another tune from Brian Hankey called A Child's Garden, and Dave Seastrom shares some thoughts on his neighbors, the rattlesnakes. Keith Bradway has a story on the history of Fruitdale, and Gunther Flum closes the show with his poem.
4: We're all nuts.
5: We're all nuts. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, Dave, I think we've about got this show in the can, don't we? Oh, yeah. I think this is going to be a good one. This is going to be right. Get it. Oh, on it. Hold on, hold on. I forgot to shut my phone off. Let me get this, and I'll get rid of them real quick, and then we can get back to business. And hello? Hello? Well, well, hello, Mrs. President. I mean, Mrs. First Lady. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm not even sure what to call you over the phone. That's you called me by weird. surprise. Oh, Michelle, like. Michelle, my bell. Oh, I'm just teasing you. They said you had a good sense of humor, and what do we do to deserve this, the honor of this call? Oh, it's the only day you and Brock get to sleep in, listen to the radio, and do some casual stuff. That's
12: about
3: it. Yeah, are you sitting around in your jammies? Too
12: much information.
3: <laughs> Brock's wearing his warm-up suit. Why doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're glad you enjoy our Brown County Hour. We like to have a little bit of entertainment value and some stories and music.
12: Oh, yeah, we work.
3: Yeah. And so you've been hearing about our forestry issue on there, oh, huh? yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty serious. In about 10 years, 60% of our forest is going to be gone, mm-hmm. and it'll be named appropriately Brown County because all you'll see is dirt. Oh. But uh, for more information, you can go to browncountyhour.com woodwatch.
4: Yeah, so I'm gonna check
3: that out. Yeah. Okay, well we're grateful for your effort in uh general health and nutrition and gardening. Yeah,
12: well we love gardening.
3: Oh yeah, as far as radio goes, the Brown County hours like a turnip in the vegetable world.
12: <laughs>
3: <laughs> we're unique, special, well rounded and colorful. Yeah, well, radio
8: <laughs> turnips are broccoli.
3: Yeah. Well, thanks. We appreciate your service for all that you're doing for America, and we wish you the best.
8: Well, thank you very much.
3: Well, that's very nice. Thank you, and keep listening. And tell Brock no Chuck Taylors are allowed in bed. Oh. <laughs>
11: Thank you.
4: This is Dave Seastrom with the Brown County Hour. There is one time of year that many Brown Countyans would just as soon do without. And I'm not talking about winter. When the temperatures are right and the sun is high enough in the sky, there's a stirring in the brush, a reawakening of creatures from their long winter slumber. Active for only a few short months, these creatures have an undeserved, deadly reputation. They're feared and reviled, and in the past, people would go out of their way to kill them on sight. If you haven't already guessed, I'm talking about rattlesnakes. When I was a kid, I thought you had to be somewhere out west to even see a rattlesnake. I had no idea right here in south-central Indiana there's a sizable population of these legendary creatures. The first Indiana timber rattlers I ever met were on possum trot. I was helping some friends build their house, and that summer we saw all kinds of snakes. Black snakes, copperheads, garter snakes, and common water snakes. But the most impressive of all were the rattlers. First of all, they're huge. Usually coming in at 50 to 60 inches, sometimes they are the circumference of a softball. In spite of their size, their camouflage is pretty convincing, so it's best to keep a wary eye out for them. When you see them in the open they look like small alligators and if you make one mad they're capable of acting that way. Where my wife and I live we see rattlesnakes every summer, some years more than others. We typically see between eight to ten individuals per year. Here in mid-June we've seen three individuals so far and the snake season has just begun. For the last three weeks we've seen at least one every day. They have a couple of favorite hangouts. The pile of old metal roofing is a favorite. There's a lot of great hiding places and plenty of small critters to excite their appetite. The other hotbed of snake activity is under what my wife likes to call the should-have-been-burnt sailboat. The tires are flat and the trailer is sunk into the ground leaving just enough space for this rather large rattler to take up residence. I check on her every day just to keep track. On the surface, it doesn't appear that she's doing much, but subtle forces are at work. She's releasing pheromones by the bucketful and advertising her availability. This brings us to the whole reason rattlesnakes exist. They spend two-thirds of the year hibernating. These months go by without so much as a snack or a drink of water. When the earth warms up, they make their way to the sunshine and as quickly as they can, they literally grab a bite to eat. Once this is accomplished, it's time to deal with their most profound biological imperative, making snake babies. That's about it. Eating and mating. They don't dance, or smile, or form social clubs, or attend concert, at least not on purpose. They do, however, sing. The thing they're most famous for, and the characteristic they're named after, is rattling. Even if you don't see the snake, the snake sees you. If, by chance, you're a little too close, she'll coil up and begin the snake version of Ode to Joy to inform you of her intentions. What could be more polite than that? I myself have had a few close encounters. A few summers ago, I was rummaging around in the clutter of my barn and managed to land a foot directly next to a very upset rattler. Instinctively, I tensed my butt muscles and flew into the air wildly paddling sideways and escaped unscathed. This isn't because of my lightning reaction. It's because the snake would much rather flee than bite me. The dogs are a different story. Over the years, several of our dogs have been bit. Few have lived their entire lives without that pleasure. I think this has to do with attitude. All of the dogs we've ever had, only one was bit twice. Once is usually enough. Boomer was a boxer, and he just couldn't help himself. Within a three-week span, he managed to get bit twice in the face. The second time I rushed him to Doc Brester, I told Doc that in all my years I've never seen a dog bit twice. He dryly replied, you have now. Whatever it is that Doc does, none of our dogs have ever died from snake bite. Not even bugs who was bit in the tongue. However, they were completely miserable for a few days. I think it boils down to respect. The snakes don't want anything to do with us. And we do our best to keep our distance. That's not a bad plan for both of us. We are, after all, the interlopers. This is their home. When we maintain mutual respect, everyone gets what they need. And our friends, the Rattlers, find sanctuary in the land where they belong. This is Dave Seastrom, see you next time.
2: My name is Keith Bradway, and I'm going to tell you something about Fruitdale. The town of Fruitdale is located on State Road 135, about three miles south of Morgantown. When I was young, it was not located there, but at the intersection of the Fruitdale Road and the Illinois Central Railroad, about a mile east of State Road 135. My mother said that when she was young, it was called Mosseville, after a family that owned a store there. They had a baseball team called the Mosseville Giants, and she went to their games. The biggest rival was the team from Morgantown. As a boy, my father took me through the fields east of my grandmother's property to the east side of the railroad where there was a baseball field with a game in progress. I suspect that may have been the Moseyville field. At some time a canning factory was established at Moseyville and the name Fruitdale may have been adopted as a result. Fruitdale was important enough to justify a stop for the Central Illinois Central passenger train. When I was four years old, my Aunt Pauline took me on a railroad trip. We boarded at Fruitdale and rode to Indianapolis. The train had stopped at Helmsburg before getting to Fruitdale, and later stopped at Morgantown. I don't know how many additional stops it made before arriving in Indianapolis, but I think it stopped in Bargersville. My mother and father met us at the Union Station. The only thing I remember about that was the fancy glass doors at the bottom of the steps leading from the railroad tracks to the station level. My mother told a number of stories about the canning factory at Fruitdale. She had worked there on occasion, and my Aunt Pauline had also. One of the stories was about a lady who came to work in a cart pulled by a pony named Billy. I don't think anyone in Brown County owned a car in those days. She was accompanied by her daughter, who was somewhat retarded, and was assigned the task of watching over Billy while her mother worked. Billy had a reputation of being cantankerous and might have torn up the place while being tied up waiting to go home. When it was time to leave, the mother asked, Did Billy do anything? In telling the story, my mother always mimicked the stutter of the daughter, who replied, he did 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 three papa piles. We visited the canning factory once when I was young. It had long channels of hot water with tomatoes floating in them. Workers on both sides of the channel would remove a tomato and peel it in preparation for canning. My mother and my aunt both worked with a lady who considered herself an expert. Whenever a new worker started. She would take the newcomer aside and show her how to do things, saying, Now this is how I peel tomatoes. That became a favorite expression whenever my mother or my aunt would show someone how to do something. They would say, Now this is how I peel tomatoes. I don't know when the canning factory went out of business or when the passenger service on the railroad stopped, but it was probably in the 1930s. I know that a bus service started up about at the beginning of World War II. My Aunt Pauline used it and proudly announced to us when we visited her at Grandma's house, we have a name now. This place is called Midway. The bus service had named it for its stop Midway between Morgantown and Bean Blossom. Sometime later, the Fruitdale Fire Department was established on Fruitdale Road. At one time, there were two highway signs for the area one saying Fruitdale, and one at the other end saying Midway. After several years and some bickering, that was resolved, and it is now called Fruitdale. This is a story told by Keith Bradway.
13: We're All Nuts by Gunther Flum. I'm terrified for what it's worth for all of us on planet Earth with Christians, Muslims, Hindus, Jews, Sikhs and Buddhists and their views that even though all got it right, it seems somehow they have to fight to prove to each they'll never cease to strike a blow for love and peace. Astrologers through history will pick the day a war should be. Athena, Zeus, the Druids, Thor, were all consulted during war as humans seek divine excuse to cause each other such abuse, yet even these they do not need when states and countries war for greed. Why, diamonds, water, gold, and oil, we can pillage, plunder, spoil, even if the cause ain't right just because we've got the might. Cartoons and photos, holy books, evil eyes and dirty looks, voodoo or a witch's curse, which one is power is the worst? It seems there ain't no ifs or buts, all are humans acting nuts, and all creating by their fear the reasons for their being here. Like take a nation with its flag and treat it as a cloth or rag and not a country will deny it, that damaged flag will cause a riot with shouts and shots and feelings sore that brings us to the brink of war where only death and fury's wrath will avenge that piece of cloth. We're all nuts. Yours truly, Gunther Flum.
4: Thanks for tuning in to episode 28 of the Brown County Hour, recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville, and broadcast the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. You can stream this, or any of our shows, at our website, browncountyhour.com. And while you're there, be sure to look at our Woodwatch page devoted to informing the public about the situation our forest lands are experiencing. And be sure to like us on Facebook. This show was produced by Jeff Foster and Pam Rader and co-produced by Rick Fedick, Vera Grubbs, and Dave Seestrom. Executive producer for WFHB is Allison Bechtash. Thanks again to Slats Klug for our theme music and a special thanks to our guest host, Cheeky Rose.
5: My pleasure.
4: listening to the brown county
3: hour
0: coming to you from deep in the woods of brown county indiana
3: celebrating the arts culture and nature that make this such a unique community
0: visit us online at browncountyhour.com
3: the brown county hour
1: is a production of WFHB.
0: volunteer powered listener support of community radio for south central indiana
9: take me back back to my home brown county Oh